All right, Psalm 6 this morning, we'll start with. It says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also great, is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. I, I understand that. I can see why. David groans a lot, doesn't he? He's, I can see why he'd be weary in his groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes, my eye wastes away because of my because of grief. It grows old because of my all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Everybody say, the Lord will receive my prayer. Amen. The Lord receives our prayers. Amen. That's good news. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Father God, we thank you so much for being here with us this morning, Lord God. I thank you that you do hear our prayers, Lord God. Father, let our worship be like sweet-smelling incense to you this morning, Lord God. May we enter in, Lord God, and go deeper than we've ever gone before. Father, we just desire to commune with you, to be with you, Lord God, and to connect with you. We thank you for it. Father, we just invite your presence here this morning. God, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. And we set aside all the cares of this world and turn our focus to you this morning. God, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that we would be different leaving than the way we came in this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I just really feel like we need to make this more personal. We, we, we're singing it kind of in that, in that third, the third person saying he is. But what if we sing you are? You are these things. It's a proclamation. This is a proclamation song in our lives. You are these things in, for us and in us. So I just ask Kayla to just change it a little bit and say you are. We're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to proclaim what he is to us. Amen? So let's sing that again. Well, good morning. Good to have you here this morning. Let me just start out with a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for you being a good, good father. And you speak to us today, and we hear your voice. The voice of another we will not follow. Father God, we just remind ourselves this morning of your goodness and your mercy and your grace and of your word that you said you will never leave us or forsake us. You are such a faithful God. 
Thank you that you speak. You see the needs here today and you speak to every soul. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, a little uh, introduction. So, last week, if you know, uh, we started going live on Facebook and YouTube. And today is the first day that we're going international because there are a bunch of people in Israel. Well, not a bunch, but I think at least Brian Eager is watching us right now. So, <laughs> we, are, we are going international. So, you know, we're moving, we're moving forward fast. Praise the Lord. So, if this is your first time here today, I just want to uh, encourage you and welcome you. And I just want to make a quick announcement um, that if... I guess the way I could describe this church to you that we are not a program. Amen? We, we're not gathered here to run something or to entertain you. We really believe in the gathering of the saints and that God has something for you to speak to you uh, today. And whenever you know, we lead worship or speak, we try our best to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and let Him lead the direction of a service and the gathering of the saints. And I really believe when John uh, spoke during worship and said we need to sing that song again, I really feel like he was picking on, on something that the Holy Spirit was saying that he actually put on my heart to speak. Because today I'm going to speak to you about vision. You know, it's 2020 and we joke around, you know, who has 2020 vision? Like, who actually has, is there anyone here who actually has 2020 vision? My lovely wife. A couple of younger ones. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> younger ones. <laughs> it's, it's good to have 2020 vision. But here is something I want to tell you today. We're talking about spiritual things. Now, I read a bunch of articles and you know, some of them are a total scam, like, can you, can you improve your vision, like your actual eyesight? And some of them say, yeah, you gotta eat a lot of carrots and you gotta do these different eyeball exercises. And I don't know if it's true, but I know spiritually, you can improve your vision, amen? And that's what I'm, I'm gonna talk to you uh, about today. If you have your Bible, please open it in Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21. Actually, I'm going to be reading from 19, verse 19. Again, that's Matthew 6, 19. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moth and the rust destroys it, and where the thieves break in and steal it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but neither moth nor rust destroy it, and where thieves do not break in to steal it. For where your treasure is, there is your heart will be also. And then, note what it says in the next verse. It says, so I really believe Jesus is talking still about one concept here, although we, sometimes we take these two um, uh, sayings or parables apart. But then he goes on and says this, the eye of the lamp of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. What is he talking about? So 
You know, when he talks about do not store up treasures on earth, sometimes I think I have this mentality that, you know, the hippie Jesus, they kind of they sell everything and don't store it, store it up, don't, don't own a car, don't own a house, just sell everything, give it to the poor and follow him. And that's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's really talking about a hard attitude on the inside of you. But I'm very interesting. What, what is the next word? It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, Jesus is not talking about your physical eye here, obviously. Or in some translations, it says, if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But he's talking about spiritual vision and uh, spiritual eyesight. Uh, I heard this analogy uh, from a friend of mine uh, in Hungary, and I'll share it with you real quick. Uh, it's about the moon as, a, as an object. Now, I, I love the moon. Is there anyone here who loves just even walking around on a full moon night and just staring at the moon, how radiant it is, how beautiful? Now, that's the reason you like the moon. Now, let me tell you my reason why I like the moon. In Hungary, uh, we do wild boar hunting. We hunt boar at night. <laughs> These creatures are nocturnal animals. They're smart, they're intelligent, they don't move during the day. They know somebody's out there to get them, and they only move at night. Now, before all the night vision technology came out, the only way you see at night is with a full moon. And as a matter of fact, when you have a full moon, uh, it's actually amazing if you just go out in a dark field, how how perfectly you can just see across. Now, if there's actually a little bit of snow on the ground and a full moon, it's basically daylight out there, so you can see everything. So that's, um, that's how we would hunt wild boar, and my life back then revolved around uh, the moon calendar. So I, I always kept my eye on when, when is the full moon coming. Even if there was a half a moon, that was enough to, to see enough where you can see the wild boar on the field and, and you can see them through your regular scope or binoculars and, and you can get a shot at them. So that's the reason I like, I mean, it's a really fond memory in me. Um, when I was a teenager, my uncle was a taxidermist and he took me out hunting um, night after night on the weekends. And so I love the moon. But all that being said, the moon, if you think about it, is kind of a really ugly uh, solar, it's not a planet, whatever it is, a solar object, right? Have you ever seen pictures of the moon? It's, it's not nice, uh, by, by any means. It's, in, in a matter of fact, it's death, it's darkness, it's what it is. But you realize when the moon is in a setting, when it's, it's, it's focusing on the right thing, which is the sun, it radiates beauty. But whenever it's not in that, it's not aligned, when the moon's focus is not on the sun, it's just a dark, it's something full of darkness. And isn't that a great analogy for all lives? And this is what I believe this parable is talking about. When your eye, when your spiritual eyesight, your vision is aligned and focused on God, you will radiate light. Amen? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And have you ever met, come across people who just do that constantly, almost, it seems like? Unfortunately, it's kind of rare, but you, you hear stories, and maybe you know people personally, but one, one story that comes to my mind is George Miller. 
think if you ever heard of that name. He ran, a, he ran an orphanage. And I, I read some stories from him where, where there was one where I think it was a pastor and evangelist visited his orphanage. And they, um, he's about to stay there for the night. And they, they do, did their inventory at the end of the day in the orphanage. And they look at the kitchen and they were out of food. And they have hundreds of orphan kids. And the evangelist who is there visiting is just freaking out. He's like, how are we going to feed? I mean, there are hundreds of kids who are going to wake up in the morning and there's nothing to feed them with. And then George Miller is just, you know, being uh, himself, having his focus right. He says, let's just pray with total peace. He says, Father, thank you that you will provide. And then he went to bed. So the evangelist, he couldn't sleep a minute that night. He was so nervous. George Miller slept like a baby. The next morning, he, uh, they, they wake up. There's a knock on the door. Uh, it's uh, the local breaker, baker, and he says, God spoke to me at 3 a.m., woke me up, and started baking breads, and here I am delivering. And then, okay, he just smiled, you know? Like, that was a usual occurrence. That wasn't, he didn't drop to his knees and, and start praising God, because uh, his focus is, is uh, he learned through the walk of faith how to trust his father, Right? And then, and half an hour later, there's another knock, and it's the, it's the milk truck. And he says, my truck broke down just the street, um, and I have to unload it. I would dump the, I have, I have to take it to the shop, but I have to unload it to take it to the shop. I would dump the milk, but I was wondering if you, could, you guys could use it. It's like, bring it in. And that, that, was, that was normal, you know? And or other stories of early Christians that come to my mind, uh, if you've ever been to Rome and you heard the stories of the early Christians being persecuted, throwing in front of lions and, and burned, and, and Nero um, was, um, was the ruler at the time who especially uh, hated Christians and persecuted Christians. And there are stories recorded in his, uh, history books where Nero is plugging his ears because these Christians that are being burned alive are singing and praising God. In, in the middle of, of, of being burnt alive. How do you do something like that? The only way is having your focus right. When you're full of light, it just radiates off, you, off of you. Amen? Okay, so my question is for you is this today. Are you full of light? Are you, uh, is your eyesight right, healthy? Are you looking at the right things in life? You have the right perspective? How many, I know it's easy to get discouraged. How many of you get discouraged sometimes and you feel like, you know, you're not looking at uh, the Father and His promises? I, I know I've been there, done that, you know, many times. But here's, here's what I'm going to, this is, again, not trying to condemn anyone. I'm going to try to give you some practical examples where you can keep your focus on the Lord. Amen? That is really the goal of my message today. So how can you improve your spiritual vision? Now, I'm a somewhat of a, I guess you can call me a tech guy. I do run the camera. So I, I had this analogy. I'm just going to use the camera as an analogy. And I'm going to have three points for you. But then one thing that you got to do to improve your vision 
is check your lens on the camera. There are main, three main things on the camera, lens, and then you have your zoom, when you zoom in, and then you have focus, right? So the first thing is your lens. Many people in life get discouraged because they have a lens cover on. They, they're, not even, they're not even trying to look to the Father. Or your, or your perspective is completely wrong. You're, you have the wrong lens on, really, is what it is. Your perspective might not be right. So let's see a scripture here uh, that puts things into the right perspective. This is from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. This is Paul talking, and just a little... Um, preview on, on, on what's going on in this chapter. This is, I'm going to be reading from, first, uh, did I say 1 Corinthians? Second. Second, yep, 2 Corinthians 4. And I'm going to be reading from verse uh, 13. But before I read there, I just want to put it into context that Paul is talking, if you just looked up a couple lines, he's talking about being afflicted, afflicted in every way. He says, you're being crushed, perplexed, despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, yada, yada, yada. He goes on. Welcome to life, right? Here he's talk, It's easy to get discouraged. And if anyone has a reason, I think it, it would have been Paul. But let's, let's see Paul's perspective on this. And then it, in verse 13, he says, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is with, written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore, we also speak, knowing, knowing, I would circle that word if I were you, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will rise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks, the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Just going back to that word knowing and getting the right perspective. You know, if, if you know something, you don't get discouraged. <laughs> Have you ever watched a football game where you knew the end results? Like the Seahawks game last week for, for everyone who is a Packer fan, and so you can relate a little more. How many of you got nervous in that fourth quarter? I know I did, you know, where, where the Seahawks got the ball back and they're marching down the field, and it's Russell Wilson, and what's going to happen? But I bet if you watched that game today, you wouldn't get nervous in the four, fourth quarter. How many of you watched a movie that you have seen before? And the second time you watch it, it's not, you're not really nervous, like, oh, are they going to make it or not, right? If you know the end result, um, you won't get so discouraged so easily, amen? The question is whether your focus is on that or not, right? Okay, so let's see. He goes on and says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul says, for though our outer man is, outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And now catch this. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far behind all comprehension. Uh, Paul is talking about light affliction. Again, I'm just trying to tell you, whenever you're going through something, maybe this week, put yourself in the right perspective, a light affliction. You know, Paul's light affliction is probably more serious 
uh, than what you're going through right now. If you read, if you would read, I'm not going to go there for time's sake, but in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 11, he talks about his light affliction. He got stoned to death once, and he survived somehow. He got shipwrecked like three times. I think five times he received uh, uh, 40 uh, lashes minus one. The Romans, 40 lashes were a death sentence, so you could only get 39. That was the most severe. And it says we got beaten by rods. And this is not just a little spanking. I mean, we're talking grown man beating him with rods. And he calls these things a light affliction in his life. Put yourself in the right perspective. You know what? I thought about this. During the week devoted to God, there was a question that John Mo, Pastor John Mo asked. And he said, when we get to heaven, you know that some uh, Old Testament saints might come up to you and, and they, they ask, what was it like to be filled with the fullness of God, with the Holy Spirit 24-7? Like, and, and it's a valid question, right? Because people didn't have that privilege in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And, but then as he asked the question, I, I started wondering about that. Like, what would Peter answer to that? You know, like, what was it like? Well, it was, it was good. Yeah, it was, it was good. On Sunday mornings, you know, worship was good. I felt goosebumps. I felt filled with the Spirit. Until Monday morning when, you know, someone sent me a mean email or or a text message, or a coworker chewed me out. Then I got really discouraged. Then I didn't feel a thing. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit at all being near me. Right? It's just being real. Like, that's kind of how we go through life. We don't feel it, right? I don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel a thing. You gotta have the right perspective. If you want to change your outcome of your situation, that is the first thing you have to do is changing the perspective. Now listen to this. Maybe you're here dealing with a terminal sickness. You know, that, is, that the doctor basically has a death sentence over you and it's printed and it says, see, you have stage whatever cancer. You need to have the right perspective. About a couple months ago, I felt like the Lord told me to start watching uh, some videos just randomly in my time, and I call them after-death experiences, and it's really uh, fascinating. There are tons of videos after, and I know it's not scripture, you know, whatever, but I just felt like the Lord told me that because I needed to get a, stretch my imagination, so I typed in after-death experiences, and you know what? It's actually kind of amazing how all of these videos, and the majority of them Christian, like Christian, uh, um, what is the big Christian TV channel, CBN, TBN, or whatever. Most of them, you know, made professionally by Christian uh, uh, channels, but some of them were on Oprah, Oprah or whatever, like on, on just secular TV. But I, it's funny to me that all of these are like very much aligned with the Bible and everything what the Bible says. Even the secular ones, they say, I just felt peace and I saw this bright light. Or, or they say they saw something really bad and it was getting really warm. You know, like, it's, 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 just, it's just funny to me that that's, that's, that's the two ways those after-death experience videos really go. But anyways, I started watching it and most of them are really good ones. Like, they're telling you, like, man, like, I felt peace and then 
So they, this is what many of them say, the worst day of my life was coming back to my body. And I got to the point watching these videos where I was like, man, like, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if you keep your mind on the right thing for an extended period of time, it's amazing what it will do to your soul, you know? It's going to put things into a different perspective. Now, why am I telling you this? If you're struggling with a sickness, you know, that's leading to death, you know, how many of you know the enemy's number one way to operate is through fear in your life? And did you know that fear negates your faith? It makes it, you know, that it's neutral, basically, or non-existent. It makes it impossible to work. So if fear does that, then how do you get rid of fear? You put yourself in the right perspective. You put yourself, I mean, what am I worried about? I mean, there's a eternal glory waiting for me with my mansion, you know, ready to move in, all furnished and stuff. If you start meditating on that, you know what will that do to you? It will get rid of fear in your heart. And you know what will happen once you get rid of fear? Your faith starts operating, and chances are you will get healed because there's no more fear than in your heart. But praise God, you need a change of perspective. Or you're dealing with a tragedy. You lost someone, and that's tough. And I'm not, I'm not going to minimize the, the weight of that, and, and that's really sad. But Kayla and I were watching a, a movie the other night called Faith Like Potatoes. How many of you have seen that? Now, uh, there's a scene in that movie where, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, just real quick, it's a guy, a Scottish guy, who moves to South Africa, s starts farming, a lot of things go bad, he, he becomes a Christian, and then he starts to see miraculous uh, working in his life, and his prayers being answered, and he starts to have a real relationship with God. But there's a, a scene in the movie, now this is Don DeRome, and he's, you know, he's saved, everything is going well, his farming is going well, and his brother and his kids are over at their house, and his brother's son says, oh, can I ride the tractor with you? So he's like, sure, yeah, I'll take you for a ride. So his brother's son gets on the tractor. They're riding the tractor. And this is based on a true story, by the way. And he falls, and the tractor runs the kid over, and he ends up dying. Um, very sad scene, uh, very emotional scene in the movie. And, and, I mean, yeah, and they do a really good job of just, you know, getting the, the point across. But then you know what happens the next night? So you can imagine how he's feeling. He feels guilt, shame, you know, this is my fault, the kid fell. But now imagine his brother, who was the father. It's like, where's my son? There's a scene in the movie where he's like, where's my son? What happened to my son? And he's just shaking his head. He can't even, he can't even say a word. And obviously, they just, you know, depression, you know, loss, all this, everything that can come upon you in a moment of tragedy like that, it's coming on, on the dead. But then a couple nights later, I don't know what the time period is, in the middle of the night, the dad calls uh, the brother and says, with full of joy, he's radiating joy and light. And he calls him and says, I saw my son. And he's, he's in the middle of the night, so the, his brother's confused. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you calling me? He's like, oh, you don't understand. I, I, I saw my son. Like, God gave me a vision. He was in heaven. And then I told him, son, come to me. Run to me. 
And then my son looked at me and he just shook his head like, no, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay here, daddy, and I'm going to wait for you. It's a powerful scene, but here's the point. The depression, the, the tragedy, in with one perspective change, turn into joy. It, it's, it, it was a really good scene. I, I recommend you watch the movie. Finances. Maybe you're here and struggling with finances. You need to have a perspective change. Amen? And here's the perspective change for finances. Start looking at what you do have instead of what you don't have. That's a huge principle. And it's all through the Bible. I mean, Elijah uh, and the widow, you know, they're starving to death. And Elijah says, what do you have? We have, what are, we have no food. Like, what a stupid question. You know everybody's starving to death, and I'm a widow. I'm probably starving even more. Like, no, what do you have? I have jars, then she says. And then what? The jars are going to start getting filled with oil. See, you got to start looking at what you do have. The, the loaves, the five fed the 5,000. The disciples said, well, yeah, we got nothing. You need, a, you know, however much money to feed these people. There's one kid in the crowd who says, no, I got something. I got five loaves and two fish. Perspective change. What do you have? You got to start looking at what you have. How many of you have heard the name Nick Vujicic? By chance. A few people. Nick Vujicic, his son's a like he might be from Eastern Europe or something, but he's not. He's actually from Australia. I recommend you typing in it into YouTube after you go home and watch some of his videos. Nick Vujicic is today a motivational speaker and evangelist. But Nick Vujicic is a guy, and you might have seen videos of him. He, he has no arms or legs. He was born without any limbs. And his, he has a powerful story where, you know, I mean, think about what kind of a quality of life you would have. You know, I have no arms and no legs. What, what can I, I can't even do anything. It's quite amazing. And then he, he, was, he turned suicidal when he was a teenager or in middle school. And then he had a revelation and uh, the Lord Jesus touched his heart. And, um, and, and he gave his life to the Lord. But here's what happened. He looked at himself and he realized, I don't have any arms or legs, but what do I have? I have a mouth. Today, he's a motivational speaker, travels the world all over the globe, has three kids, I think, married, led hundreds of people to Christ, but he goes into prisons and public schools, and he's, again, he's a very famous motivational speaker. Not, I mean, his message is about Christianity and, and, um, and the power of the gospel, but he's also, even for the secular world, listens to him because he's so motivating. Perspective change. He started to look, and today, from depression, he's living a life that most of us would envy, right? Someone who had no arms and legs, and now the life today. What did he do? He started to looking at what he had, and that is a mouth, in his case. Vince Lombardi said this, I believe. The measure of every man is not what uh, he has, but what he does with what he has. Start looking at what you do. If you're here today struggling with finances, God is speaking to you right now. You've got to start looking at what you have because that's what God will use and operate through and bless the work of your hands, and he's going to pour into your life. Amen? Okay, 
Moving on, my second point. So first, you needed the perspective change. Secondly, you need to start staring at the right thing. In other words, going off the camera, zooming in. What are you zooming in? What are you staring at? I read again an article, if your eye if you're dealing a lot with computers, like you maybe work in a cubicle in an office, they actually recommend you not staring, every 20 minutes taking a break from staring at the computer and look at something in the distance. Um, but let's see this principality in, in the Bible. What are you staring at? What are you zoomed in? What are you locked in for? Um, I'm going to read to you, turn your Bible to Exodus. Two stories. This is... The golden calf from Exodus 32. And the second story I will read will be the brown serpent from Numbers. But before I do that, and you may have a, just a red flag going up in you that, well, that's Old Testament, you know, I don't know how that applies to me. Well, then I got news for you. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about avoiding Israel's mistake for half a chapter, basically, or I don't know for how long. Not being, not grumbling, you know, not being idolaters. Paul is saying that this stuff, those written in the old times, apply to your life today in the new covenant. Amen? So there's some principalities, I'm sorry, some principles that we can, <laughs> that we can look at here that will apply to you today. Amen? So not, Exodus 32 is, let's read, the, let's read the first story. Exodus 32, now reading from verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it, the graving tool, and made it to a molten calf. And they said, This is your God. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And then Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be the feast to the Lord. I underline that feast to the Lord. It's interesting how things are getting combined here, right? Like they're just making an idol, but then yet tomorrow we're going to do a feast for the Lord. And then it says, So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings, and brought, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down, eat and drink, and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down uh, at once to your people, who you brought out from the land of Egypt, because they have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves molten calf, and they have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked people, or they have hardened their hearts. 
Here's the point. If you jump, if you look at verse 1 again, it starts out, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed, or was late, isn't that how it is in, in our life? I mean, sometimes you look at that story and I think, you know, what a bunch of losers. You know, like, they just crossed the Red Sea. And, and look, they may be, they're making a, you know, a cow out of gold for themselves. And that's what they start to worship, right? But now listen to this. I read a little history background on this. You know why was it a golden calf or cow or bull? The reason being is because the Canaanites, the people in the surrounding area, and history and archaeology, whatever, shows that many of those nations had that kind of a god, like a bull god, like a, a gold or a uh, cow. Or, and even today, there are cultures in Asia who worship um, cows and stuff. But that's what the surrounding cultures had, right? So what happened? Really, it's not something that they came up with. It's they just got their eyes off of the right perspective, and, and now they're turning to what the rest of the world is turning to. So I call them losers, but how, how quickly does that happen in my life? You know, when the poop muffin hits my fan, and th things don't go the way I, I thought they would, and, you know, first I'm like, focusing on God and crying out to God or looking to Him to help. But then quickly I turn to do whatever the rest of the world does. Pills, you know, what, whatever. Meditation, I don't know. Uh, what is it in your life? You know, in my life, I know it's, it's actually turning to myself, right? I can solve this problem. I, I can come up with a solution. I can, I can overcome this. You know, I'm making another idol is what I'm doing, really. Same, same story. Nothing has changed, right? So what are you staring at, you know, when things like that happen in your life? Are you zoomed in? Do you have your perspective right? And if you do, awesome. But are you staying zoomed in? Are you staring at God? Are you trusting Him that He's going to be your solution to your problem? Let's look at the other story quick. And that's from Numbers 21. And that's the bronze serpent. And there's, there's a great principle, again, very similar here, that applies to your life and my life. Numbers 21. Numbers 21, I'm going to read from verse 4. So they're moving on. You know, life goes on for the Israelites. Excuse me. They're moving on, and it says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. Or other translation says, weary or very discouraged. I asked you the question, is it easy for you to get discouraged? I know it is easy for me. When the journey goes on, life, how many of you know it's easy to get discouraged? It's easy to get weary. And now let's see what happens. So the, so the people spoke against Moses, and he said, Why have you brought us out from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food or water except this miserable food. That's what mine says. It says this miserable food. Or it says we're sick of this miserable food. <laughs> now, no, note this. They were eating manna. You know, in some translation, what manna is? Is angel's food. Is how it's described. They're not having the right perspective to start with. You know, if you're not satisfied by angel's food, you're just a hard person to be satisfied. 
right? You got to have the right perspective. But then he says, why did you bring us out? To die? And then look what happens. They speak that over themselves. I mean, watch your mouth what you're speaking. Because then as you look at uh, verse 6, and then fiery serpents came. And we know the story. They all got bit, all the people who grumbled. And basically, whatever they spoke over themselves, it started happening. They started dying in the, in the middle of the wilderness. And then they cried out. I'm going to jump down to 8, verse 8. So then, then the Lord said to Moses, they cried out before that, they cried out to Moses, you know, we repent. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a, on a, on a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And it came about that if, if the serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. I, I was meditating on the scripture. And at first it seems like, what, what is the purpose of the bronze serpent? Like It's like another idol. I mean, you make another a brown serpent and you lift it up in the air and that's what they're supposed to look at and that's how you get healed like that seems kind of strange but then i really felt like the holy spirit started speaking to me now catch that it says on a pole now if you know anything about the asian word or even medieval european word anything that was said on a pole wasn't a good thing let me give you an example vlad the impaler there was a guy called Vlad the Impaler. If some of you may have not heard the term impaling, he invented that. Uh, it's not fun. Don't try it at home or at all. Impaling meant they took a large stick or a pole and they put you through it from the bottom through your mouth and they put you up. And that's what Vlad the Impaler did. And that's actually how he defeated the uh, Turks or the Ottomans who were coming in because he impaled a bunch of his soldiers, just you know, a handful, and then he saw it, they were so scared that they wouldn't even go, go close to his castle. They just left, left him alone. When you set something in a pole, it was a sign of that you've been defeated, that you've been destroyed. Even the Bible says, actually, in just to give you the scripture reference, in, um, in Galatians, Paul refers to the Old Testament scripture, cursed is everything that is set on a tree or hangs on a tree. So what was God doing here? Here's this snake, this death, this struggle, this whatever in your life that you feel like it's overtaking you right now. And he set it on a pole and that's as a sign of defeat. And if you looked at you stared at it. It says, everyone who stared at it got healed and lived. So basically what God was doing, look, I'm above this, right? This death, this sickness that you're dealing with is defeated. And if they saw it, if they focused in on that, they lived. If, you, if they kept looking at their wounds, it doesn't say, but I'm a, I have a feeling a bunch of them did die. Because it says only the ones who looked at the serpent lived. If you kept looking at your bites and your hurt and your struggle and the mean text messages from the coworkers and the discouragement and whatever you're going through, it will defeat you. Or whatever it is, the sickness, the lack. But if you're looking at the cross, that Jesus overcame that on the cross, amen? Then you're victorious. Where is your focus at? What are you staring at? 
You become what you stare at. Amen? And then moving on to my last point, and I'll finish up here very shortly. My third point is going back to the first scripture, or one of the earlier scriptures I left through from 2 Corinthians 4, 16, when he was talking about light affliction and having the right perspective. He says, but we do not lose heart, but through our Although our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. And that's the word that I'm, I want to focus on, day by day. Setting your focus right. On a camera, a focus, you know, because Pastor John or whatever, whoever is speaking is moving around a ton, you lose focus. Even if, there's, even if I'm zoomed in, even if I have the right lens and perspective and I'm zoomed in, because the background and surroundings change, the focus changes. And that's the same with us in life. You know, focus has to be adjusted daily. Daily. And that is my final point for you, that it's daily that you do this. Daily. You know what the Bible says? Give us this day or... What kind of bread? Daily bread. Note that in your life, that yesterday's revelation is not good for today. Right? You have to do this daily. Notice this, that the manna in the wilderness was daily. That it was bad, you know, by the next day. They had to collect it again. That's the same for you. Setting your focus right daily. Amen? Here's another um, analogy. The, the, how many of you heard of the Wright brothers? Wright brothers, they um, figured out the way to fly when everybody told them that it's impossible. You guys are idiots. It's not going to work. People have tried it. They died. And they said, no, we're going to figure this out. And you know what they discovered? Obviously, they knew there's a law of gravity that brings you back down every single day. Whatever goes up, it comes back down. But they discovered that there is another law, the law of aerodynamics, that is above the law of gravity. How? By aerodynamics. But you also need a push, right? You need the speed. If you don't have speed, you're going to start coming down. And in a second, any plane that loses uh, the throttle, the push, it will eventually come down. And that's what many of us Christians are. We go from experience to experience. You know, we're here, and then we start coming down. But notice this. If you have that push... If you have your focus right and renew it daily, you will stay up. Kenneth E. Hagin said this once, that uh, someone approached him. I think it was a, a lawyer, a friend of his who was a lawyer or maybe a business owner who was dealing with some serious, heavy, legalistic stuff. He was being sued and was just loaded with worries and pressure. I mean, anything that the word could throw at you. And he just, you know, Kenneth E. Hagin was ministering to him. And then he just kind of yelled at Hagen and said, well, you just don't have anything, you know, that you're dealing with in life that, that is such pressure that I'm dealing with. And then Hagen's response was, no, I do. I actually have plenty. I just learned how to fly above those. And that's exactly the key in your life. You do that by daily. In a matter of fact, um, I heard... Um, I'm not going to mention names, but from Renee, Renee told me, 
Okay, I will mention Renee, but I'm not going to mention the other Renee. But Renee told me, just whatever. Renee told me that she had a client uh, that she had to go over who was a professional athlete, okay? And long story short, she mentioned, I think, that she had to leave or something because the next appointment that the person had, or it was something along those lines, was the athlete's positive mindset coach was coming or something like that. The moral of the story that the client has a positive mindset coach. And did I hear that from you or no? If I didn't, then you told me that at school, this professional athlete had a po positive mindset coach. <laughs> <laughs> And he, someone told him. And, and that, so anyways, so the moral of the story is this. Professional athletes actually happen to have positive mindset coaches. Like the really good ones. And I was like, what? And it's true. They pay big bucks. So they meet with their positive mindset coach probably daily so that they, they are keeping their focus right. Actually, again, another Vince Lombardi quote that just came to my mind. Vince Lombardi said this back in the days, and you know, this is early days of football compared to today, but he foresaw it happening, and I, I totally believe it's true today. That He said, a day will come when it's not going to be the fastest athlete, the strongest athlete, the biggest athlete who's going to win. It's going to be the man who won the victory more. It's going to be about the mindset is basically what's said, whoever wants it more. It's going to have it. And that's, and that's what we see today. Today, your professional athletes are so good that the difference between a good athlete and a really good athlete is the mindset, really. And people pay big money for that, too. In your life, you have the Holy Spirit and living in you. Amen? You have the fullness of God living in you. Amen? Well, Father God, we just thank you for your word today. Father God, thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us. You will never forsake us. Just like it was said earlier during worship, that you are faithful. We have to remind ourselves of your faithfulness daily, Lord. Daily. Just like the Israelites, that they had to take stones from the river that they crossed. That they wouldn't forget what you have done. They would change the perspective the next time they're facing a battle or a situation when they get discouraged, that they wouldn't forget what you have done for them. We have to do the same thing in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us, that we are your temple, and you never leave us. We look to you, Father. Help us. Speak to us every morning. Speak to us in dreams. Father, help us to find time right away in the morning to set it aside to focus on your voice. Just thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.